Welcome, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We continue in our series on the Apostles' Creed as we focus on the portion that reads, I believe in the communion of the saints, as taught by the Reverend John Guest. You can find the rest of our series online at ccgf.org or on the Christ Church app. You can also follow Christ Church Online on the usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Here is Pastor John with the message, I believe in the communion of the saints. Thank you for listening. Pastor Ed, who preached last week, spoke about, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we are dealing with the, the very inner workings, that's what we've labeled it, of the, the worship we have together here, week in and week out. And pretty much throughout the balance of this year, we're going to be speaking about what that is. We started several weeks ago now with the creed, which is the theological statement, the theological undergirding, the statements of truth which make up the foundational truths that all real believers agree upon, no matter where their background is, their nationality, their culture, the way they worship. Creed's divided up into three main sections. Father, Creator, Son, who is our Savior, Redeemer, who came to die for us, and the Holy Spirit, who makes all that real, true, and powerful in our lives. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Ed brilliantly introduced us to the Holy Spirit last week, the person, the third person of the triune Godhead. And immediately you move from, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It then talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. So it says, I believe in the Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to engraft us, give us a new life, and bring us into that family of the church, which is described in the Bible, amazingly, as saintly. I believe in the communion of saints. I'm called a variety of things by a variety of people. Uh, You know, my kids call me dad. My wife calls me darling or honey or sweetheart. Some of you who are from a more Episcopal background might call me Father John. Mostly I'm called around here Pastor John. Some, because of my background, call me Dr. John. Some of you, out of a more Baptist background, call me Brother John. None of you has ever called me Saint John. (laughs) Not my kids, not my wife, not you. But amazingly, the Bible does. The beginning of this epistle to the Ephesians... I want to direct you to page six in your service sheet, 
which is chapter 2, verses 13 through 22 of Ephesians. But the beginning of that epistle, you've got these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now nearly all the epistles, that is Paul's letters to the Philippians, or the Galatians, or the Corinthians, begins by introducing himself first, who he is, and then whom he's addressing. And he addresses them as the saints in Corinth, as the saints in Philippi. They're not the particularly holy people in that community. Those are the believers in Jesus, the faithful in Christ, in that community. So what the Bible describes us as, in one of its descriptions, is saints. Take a look, if you will, and I'm asking you to do this, go to page 6. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and focus on verse 18, right in the center of that text. You see, it says there that through him, that is Jesus, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. The first thing you will quickly grasp is that in that single verse, the triune Godhead is mentioned. Through him, that is Jesus, we both have access, who? To the Father by one Spirit. The Lord Almighty transforming us and giving us together access into the presence of Almighty God. How does that happen? How is it we can be called saints and have access, not when we die and go to heaven, but right now? Scripture calls us to come boldly to his throne of grace where we have access to find both forgiveness of our sins and help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16 To come boldly to that throne of grace into the presence of Almighty God. You will remember, I'm sure, that when Jesus died on the cross and cried, It is finished. And he had paid for it all. In the temple in Jerusalem, he was outside the city, but at the heart of their worship in Jerusalem, in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where the high priest only once a year would go in, there was a huge curtain that separated it all off from the rest of the people in the congregation. And to go in behind that curtain was the privilege of the high priest, but once a year, on the Day of Atonement, to offer sacrifice for the sins of all the people. That huge drape was torn from top to bottom, making access, opening up a way. And that's what Christ achieved on the cross. So that we now called saints 
can enter in to his presence boldly. I want to read from Philippians, the very next epistle, chapter 3 and verse 9. Listen to these words. That I, this is Paul who was a Jew of the Jews, intensely Jewish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, that is keeping the law, being righteous in all my behavior. Not that kind of righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Up until Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, He had been trying to be good enough, keeping all the rules and regulations of the law. Have you ever tried to be good? I can remember my brother and me saying to my mother who was sitting weeping because we were out of control. We'd go up to her and say, we'll be good, mom, don't cry. Fat chance. Have you ever tried to be good? I mean, tried to be good? C.S. Lewis said in one of his writings, nobody knows how bad they are until they have tried to be good. You realize it's hopeless. So, looking out over you all, if you're going to make it in your own righteousness, by your own achievement by becoming so good and so holy that God regards you as a saint, you are cooked. You are done for. It is over. You will never make it. And Paul had come to that conclusion and Jesus revealed to him in a moment of time on the road to Damascus where Paul in that journey was on his way to persecute believers and throw them in prison, maybe even execute some of them. And in a moment of time, when he met Jesus, that was all changed 180 degrees. He became a lover of Jesus and served him with the rest of his life. What do you want me to do, Lord? He said on the road to Damascus. It's one of the marks of his greatness. What do you want me to do? And he spent his lifetime doing what Jesus revealed to him. That gift of righteousness which he describes here writing to the Philippians, which comes by faith in Jesus, is a gift. And the only way you and I can enter into the presence of God, the only way we can ever take that title Saint John, Saint Michael, Saint Margaret, Saint whatever your name is, is not because you have proven how good you are by your own achievement and behavior, but by surrendering to Christ, as it's described here in verse 18, to be in him. For through him, that is Jesus, 
We both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Through Jesus, through being in Christ, in him, covered by him, shrouded by him, seen to be in him, the Father looks at us and sees us looking like Jesus, in him. And when that happens, we are regarded as looking like Jesus and therefore saintly in his covering. What a gift that is. I remember chatting with a guy about a year ago. Very potent conversation because I knew this guy very, very well. And he said to me, are you telling me, John, that all I have to do is trust in Jesus and all the rotten, stinking things I've done all my life, all the sin and wickedness of my life is done away with and forgiven? And I said to him, you have got it. That is absolutely the heart and soul of the Christian faith. I remember asking one other guy, once upon a time, my brother Tony, what do you think is the heart and soul of the Christian faith? He said, trying to be good. That does come across. Some of you may still think that. Try to be good. That's taking on a hopeless task if the standard is godliness, to be like Jesus. Except that we end up being driven to him, surrendering to him, asking him into our lives, and as he takes possession of us. So all that filth and rottenness and wickedness, everything that the devil keeps reminding us of because he loves to be the accuser, that's one of his jobs in his wickedness to keep us groveling in our wickedness, feeling guilty about it, instead of coming to God, repenting, yielding our lives to Jesus and beginning again new and clean. In him, we have access to the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit who makes that all real and true. And once we have that kind of communion with God, that brings us into a relationship with each other, into that one holy Catholic church. Let me be clear about one thing. The word Catholic, we're going to be rehearsing and saying again this creed at the close of the sermon. But the word Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. You look in the dictionary, in fact, I looked it up deliberately again yesterday to be clear that it really does say it, which I've always known it did, that the first meaning of the word Catholic is universal. The one universal family of God. You've got Roman Catholic. But the Catholic Church, the whole church, all the believers in Jesus, all those who've been there made new and clean, those who are now saints in Christ because of what he has done, make up the holy, universal church. So when it says, and we haven't really looked at it, I've skipped by the word in that text, go back to verse 18, will you? When it says that through Jesus we both, I've got that marked up, 
we both. Who are the both there? Who's he speaking about? Well, the contemporary situation into which he's sharing this brilliant piece of truth is this. That current situation is that Jews and Gentiles had no dealings with each other. The Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles, that is every non-Jew, scorned the Jews. The big issue in the early church was do Gentiles, non-Jews, have to become Jews in order to be followers of Jesus? That was the huge issue. Paul's addressing this to Ephesus where you've got a bunch of Gentiles and when he speaks about those who are afar off, he's speaking of the Gentiles, and to those who are near, the Jews, both joined together in Christ become a new creation that is a new community. So that when we speak about the communion of saints, we're speaking about a new community of believers. Right now, today, which would be in the evening in Uganda, our grandson is out there with a bunch of young people amongst the African Christians and non-Christians alike. But when you go to Africa or to Thailand, in the Middle East, Wherever you go, and there are believers in Jesus, we are united in him. We become a new family, a new body. If you've got the reading open in your service sheet, page 6, look at verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, that is in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, that's in Jesus, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The communion of saints, the essential truth is this, that when you are joined to Jesus, you become joined to all the other believers. Now today, we've got issues as they did in Paul's day. Jew and Gentile ingrained bigotry. What are we talking about in the USA today? Very political. Black lives count, matter. I find it heartbreaking. And I have become an American, for those of you who don't know it, that our nation is still viciously in places hanging on to the black-white bigotries. It's an issue. 
But wherever people come to know and love Jesus, that issue is done away with. We become one family in Jesus. Whether African, Asian, European, one people made one family. The Spirit of God working a miracle in our lives, transforming us in the first place individually and personally, and then gathering us together. When my wife is asked about Christ Church at Grove Farm, because we do a lot of traveling and I do some speaking here and there, and they ask us about Christ Church, my wife said, I can tell you this, our people love Jesus and they love each other. Great description of what the family of God is meant to be. I asked somebody yesterday only who was visiting at our house. I said, what does the communion of saints, I'm looking for help, what does that mean to you? She said that when the Christians gather, they are so attractive and they do things so beautifully together that everybody else around wants to become one of them. Once in on the family. Oh, friends, oh, that that were really true. But by the grace of God, may it be so for us as the family of God. When we greet one another at the beginning of the service and share the peace of God with each other, it's an example of this verse here. He makes peace between us. And we greet one another in his peace. And it's only possible through him. If we look at each other as we are in the flesh, in our sin, who wants to be anywhere near us? But in Christ, we're made new. And then they have a new community, the communion of saints. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. God's word from the prophets and the apostles being the foundation. A whole new amazing gathering. Now let me just briefly talk about this. The communion of saints, saints past, saints present, and future saints to be. Aren't you grateful for the saints past? Like Paul, but we're talking about ordinary people now. How about Saint C.S. Lewis? How about Saint Martin Luther? How about Saint, he's still living actually, but Billy Graham? Saints who've made a difference and left their mark. I am thankful for Saint Ray Wilson. He's the man who first shared with me when I was a teenager how I could become a new person in Jesus. Ray Wilson. I've wept in gratitude over that man. I went back to England some years after and found out that he had died of a heart attack. I remember the name of the man who led him to Christ. Richard Post. I, only, I didn't know the man. Richard Post. I looked up all the Richard Posts in the telephone book. That was back in the day when there weren't cell phones and everybody's name and number was in the book. Some of you kids don't even know about that. 
But in Oxford, I looked up all the Richard Posts and I went down them one at a time and I got through to them and I said, are you the Richard Post who introduced Ray Wilson to Jesus? And I finally hit one. I don't know what all the others thought, but I hit one who said, I am. And I said to him, I'm your grandson. Because Ray Wilson led me to faith in Jesus. First was the one who told me about Jesus. Saint Ray Wilson. How I love him. I love Saint Kenneth Druitt. He's the man who became my pastor. Gave me my first Bible. Took me under his wing. Watched out for me. Drove me off to seminary when I went to train to be a minister. I've wept over him. I have his picture in my office at home. Kenneth Druitt. Saint Kenneth Druitt. How about saints present? What kind of a home group, small group are you in? We have folks in our small group who wouldn't miss it for anything. As one couple, they have a boat down in Annapolis and they will drive home to get here either for church or for our small group every weekend. Wouldn't miss it. Who are the people in your life who make a difference for you? Saints present. God has given us each other to cheer each other on. We'll be getting to that in the fall as part of what worship is, which is fellowship, really getting into each other's lives. And how about saints to come? (laughs) I mean, people you know who don't know Jesus yet. People who are going to become saints. You work with them. You shop with them. You exercise with them. You live next to them. Future generations of saints. They're your relatives. Your grandchildren. Your children. Future saints. Our responsibility, our calling as part of being St. John, St. whatever your name is. I can see Bunny Hoffman down here. St. Bunny. Does that work? (laughs) Doesn't work, does it, Bunny? St. Bunny. Our task, our job, our calling is the next generation. The church is the one institution that exists for those who aren't here yet. Not just for ourselves, but for those we have a mission to, with the love of Jesus, to share the word with them. I've had some phenomenal, let me share this with you. I've had some phenomenal news. I was on, do you remember, I've talked about my brother Tony and his coming to faith. He was one of those naughty boys, two of us, me and Tony, who made my mother cry. When he was in his 40s, he came to know Jesus dramatically, like the Apostle Paul. Jesus spoke to him. I've never had that, but Jesus spoke to him. And he became a believer, and his life was transformed from that moment on. He had a son. He already had three daughters. A son after that event, not planned for, and he called him Paul, like the Apostle Paul, Paul Guest. I had a call from Paul yesterday. 
in his 40s now, who has been, was baptized today, earlier, in London, at the church to which his mother goes. Because Paul Guest recently found himself in the hospital with a gash in his mouth, a broken nose, and didn't know how he got there. He had become alcoholic, drank way too much. The hospital wouldn't deal with him until he was sober. I mean, he was in hospital, but they didn't address his issues, so he checked himself out, drunk, having come to. His sister took him back into the hospital a couple of days later. And as he dried out, he realized he needed to change direction in his life. The last time I was with him one-on-one, we had dinner together. I shared with him the gospel and left him some literature to read. In his present state that I've just described, he went online looking for help, came across a statement about how God could transform your life and give you this new peace. He said, and as I was reading that, that this is what he told me just yesterday on the phone as we talked about his being baptized today and in being baptized he had to stand and tell how he'd become a believer. How God had visited him and transformed his life. Paul Guest started reading a little Gideon's Bible that he was given when he graduated from high school. And another book that my brother Tony kept by his bed, Practice of the Presence of God, by Brother Lawrence. was reading those books and absorbing it. He said, as I began to work, he was working, fixing up an apartment. He said, I wanted to praise God. He said, I went home and I copied out the words of how great thou art, memorized them, and was singing as I worked. It's like a sort of instant replay of my brother. Astounding. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds I have in my... Thou, da, 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 da. <laughs> Thy hands have made. He's a new saint. You've got those people in your life. See them. Pray for them. Never give up. Never. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you have worked in our lives, for the people you have used the saints who crossed our path and shared with us the good news. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Grant to us that same desire to be about the same amazing grace in the lives of others that you have shared with us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.